I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Dwan March, yeah. g'day mate, how you going? Good. Mate, uh, we've got Brad uh, Del Rumble from uh, the Logan Home Office. Brad, are you there? Oh, I certainly am, Jeremy. How, we, how are we, gentlemen? Mate, we're bloody good. We've uh, been up here for two days now. I feel like I'm at one with the turtles. At first, I thought they were just going to bite me the whole time. Uh, Dwan said they don't bite them. And I keep saying, well, why do they keep trying to bite me? I was trying to lure him in. Oh, yeah, just dangle your fingers. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Oh, mate, it was, uh, it's been an epic few days, but anyway, we're here with Duan. Uh, I met Duan um, at our Ocean Protect launch. For the millions of listeners that we now have on yeah. our podcast, <laughs> who are you? What are you all about? Oh, well, first, thanks, guys. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah, so to both listeners at the moment. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so, um, yeah, so I'm a vet. Graduated from University of Sydney in 2004 and did the, the mandatory time in small animal and mixed animal practice and was after a little bit more, I guess. I went back to uni and I did a master's in whales and dolphins and how they're here. And that kind of led into my role working with the Pet Porpoise Pool in Coffs Harbour. And through that role, got involved with the sea turtle rehabilitation. That's since been rebranded to Dolphin Marine Conservation Park. Uh, and now I'm heading up the, the charity there, which is Dolphin Marine Rescue doing predominantly sea turtle rescue and rehabilitations. When you say you're, you're rescuing turtles, you know, you know, what is the, the fundamental to what, what you guys are doing? Yeah, so, I mean, the bulk of my work is sea turtles. So looking at sea turtle health, looking after the ones that we have in care. Um, and how do they come to you? Normally national parks. The national parks and wildlife service will bring them in or members of the public. Everyone loves a sea turtle, you know. So if someone sees a sea turtle on the beach, uh, pretty soon the phone starts ringing. And then pretty soon that ends up back to us. And then ideally someone can transfer it in. Uh, but if it's a big turtle or if it's entangled or if it's still in the water, uh, we'll head out and grab it, bring it back into the, into the hospital and, uh, and assess it and go from there. So that's what I do predominantly. I do treatments and, and rehabilitation of individual sea turtles. In that role, I got involved with the Sea Turtle Foundation, providing advice on treatment protocols, uh, health investigation techniques. And ideally, that's, I mean, I would love to see the Sea Turtle Foundation as an umbrella organization providing advice to all sea turtle rehabilitation facilities. Stumpy, can you tell us about Stump? So Stumpy is a classic example of why sea turtle rehabilitation is cool. So Coffs Harbour, great fishing, a lot of lobsters come, come winter time. Uh, so everyone's got their lobster pots out. The unfortunate victims occasionally to lobster pot, apart from lobsters, yeah. the, the, the other, the other unfortunate victims can be sea turtles. So Stumpy washed in uh, on the beach and the, and the public found him. He had one flipper had been ripped off and the other flipper was still entangled in, in a lobster pot line. 
and the lion had gone around his around his neck. So and it had been at least um, um you know two or three weeks. Um, he'd been entangled, and if it had been another week or two, that second flip would have ripped off, and he would have died. So he came into care. Uh, when he first came in, the we were more concerned with the remaining flipper than the other one because the the one that had been ripped off had healed and was quite stable. But the remaining flipper was just horrible, horrible to look at, really engorged, and we thought that was going to drop off as well. In in which case he would have had to been put down. But we treated that, it came good, um, so we took him to surgery, we cleaned up the other, we removed the, the bone that was protruding. It was really graphic actually, it was pretty- Yeah, I've seen the photos. It was mate. pretty brutal. Pretty, yeah, pretty so he had, he had about four inches of humor sticking out, um, yeah, and he would just swim around and that would bang into the tank and it was pretty brutal. So once that flip started to come good, we took that humerus out, stitched him up, and yeah, I mean, he's good to go. He'll go back out in another couple of weeks. Mate, I was, oh, yeah, Stump got, uh, got out of the pool this morning. I mean, the, the stitching, you, you, you'd never know you didn't have a flipper. No, I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah thanks. <laughs> now he's just got to get fit and we'll get him back out there and hopefully he'll, he'll do his thing. What are Stumpy's uh, chances in the, in the big bad world uh, after he's released? Yeah, he's one, missing one flipper. Yeah, one flipper turtles go fine. So when we're doing work with these guys out in the wild, um, often you'll, you'll jump on a turtle to have a look to see how it's going and I'll only have three flippers. Um, wow. Yeah, in terms of their breeding success, like if, if Stumpy's a female, no worries. Uh, if Stumpy's a male, it's going to be a bit hard for Stumpy to get purchase on a female. Well, hold on. Mm. Do you know whether he's a male or a female? I, if I, I do, yeah. yeah. Um, so Stumpy is a, no, I don't. <laughs> I was like, damn it, I should have checked whether Stumpy yeah. is male or female. Uh, we but, can work out. We can go back to the park and work yeah, out. Yeah, so, so we can you, measure the tail length. And oh, is at, that how you know? Yeah, and at that age, uh, if the tail is kind of maybe three or four centimeters proud of the carapace, I'll be a boy. Uh, and less than that, I'll be a so female. So Stumpy doesn't have any balls. No. Stumpy's got inter- internal balls. Internal balls. Yeah. I, I, reckon he's, I reckon he's definitely a male. I mean, he's uh, he's a bit of a survivor. Yeah, he's a bit of a stumpy. <laughs> stumpy. <laughs> That's why it's called. <laughs> oh, moving on quickly, quickly. Oh, really good save, good save, Brad. Good, well done. Um, I just had a question out of curiosity. Like, how does Stumpy relate to you? Like, you it must be such a foreign environment uh, and he obviously may not actually know that you're trying to help him or at least uh, originally. How is that relationship, I guess, developed? I mean, sea turtles are very stoic. Um, so they just cruise, man. They just do their thing, whether they're in the ocean and they just swim around. Like when you're diving and you see them, they see you and they just keep cruising. And it's the same in rehab. They, they adjust really quickly. In fact, too quickly sometimes. So they can get habituated. So when they first come in, it's important to get a good plan of nutrition in. Um, and then after that, we're trying to kind of disassociate a little bit. So we're trying to get them feeding back off the bottom and we don't want them to associate humans with food. Greens in particular are really chilled out. So the hawksbills get a bit snappy. And I was kind of hoping Jeremy was going to get bit by one of the hawksbills, but he didn't. He avoided that. But the greens are really chilled. Um, they'll give you a good slap, but just when, when they're trying to get away more than any, any aggression. And are they quite sort of, do they, do they have sort of individual personalities or is one more or like the other? Or Yeah, like I mean, they, you definitely they, see individual variation. You see some that are just jerks, like you'll have. <laughs> <laughs> they're called Brad's. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> oh, I think they're called Jeremy. You made me do it. When, when uh, say, Stumpy comes in, can you just walk us through the setup you've got? Because it's quite amazing, Brad, um, and everyone else listening, mm. that the actual process. We just put them in warm, fresh water for 24, 48 hours. That lets all the barnacles and the algae that are on there get exposed to fresh water. So th- that osmotic difference between the marine environment and the fresh water will kill that and let, let that debris kind of slough off over a week or two. Then they move into an individual tank, and that's where we rule out 
infectious diseases. So the big one is coccidiosis, uh, which and is a parasite. Where, and where does that come from? Just in the ocean? That's a marine. Yeah, it's a yeah. marine one, and that's an interesting one because the marine environment is so dynamic, you know, and the conditions out there, whether it's rainfall or temperature or salinity, will impact not just the turtle but things that the turtle is interacting with. Um, and that we do tend to see outbreaks of coccidiosis related to environmental events. So we've got to make sure that the turtles that we get in uh, don't have that before they go in with a bunch of other turtles, you know, because there'd be nothing worse than getting, yeah, yeah. you know, a sick turtle and then making a whole lot of other bunch of healthy turtles sick. What, what sort of environmental event would actually contribute to an increase in, in that sort of uh, population of bacteria? Our best guess at the moment is a period of like a dry spell, so low rainfall, yep. followed by a good mm-hmm. washout, uh, and whether or not the salinity changes or whether or not you get, you know, those those parasites or those oocysts sitting there waiting for some environmental trigger and then they, they go mm. from a kind of a dormant phase to a, to an infective stage with that rainfall. We don't know. We, we just do know that, I mean, we won't see it for five, ten years and then boom, we'll have 20 come in in a week. So it's, that sounds like it'll be a combination of a lot of things happening at once. Yeah, it's, and this is, the, this is the common problem with these guys. They're out there in the marine environment. It's so dynamic, you know. There's all these factors. There's temperature, there's turbidity, there's, and then there's stuff like parasites. Um, so parasites, sprawl and fluke um, and coccidiosis are, are both normal, normal in the marine environment, and they both knock turtles around. Saying that, I mean, turtles have co-evolved with these guys over the last, you know, 150 million years. So there's other factors as well, yeah. anthropogenic pollution and, and that sort of stuff. So... Anyway, getting back to your question, once we make sure they're not infective and they're not going to make the other turtles crook, then it's just about getting um, them back up to, to good body condition and making sure they're fit. So, Mate, you, by saying fit, they actually train these guys. Um, they, they put, oh, really? They, they put a current through the pool and then <laughs> if, if they bounce off the walls, it means they're not fit, but if they can swim against the current, that means they're good to go. It's pretty It's it's pretty wow. special. Yeah, yeah. That's about, as, hi, that's about as high tech. Like that <laughs> <laughs> that's how high tech. Like uh, an endless pool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, If they bounce, then they're not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but if you think about it, I mean, that's – you're basically yeah. replicating what happened out in the ocean and yeah. they're either good to go and they're not. Yeah, we don't want them coming back in. Like once we put them back out, like we want them, we want them to be good to go. So in the ocean, yeah, it's dynamic. There are waves, you know. So if they can't sit yeah. in that current, then then they, they hang around for a bit longer. And typically, um, I mean, I know every turtle is different, but what's the average stay at home uh, yeah. for you guys, you know? Yeah, <laughs> average. If we average it down, it'd be about three months. Okay. Yeah, so we'll have some that come in. For, they're there for more than a year. And if we miss our release. Wow. Yeah, so if we miss, say, May, April, May, awesome. Great ocean, nice and warm, nice and clear. If we miss that and we get into June and the temp starts to drop, then we'll just hang on to them until spring. So just to explain about the the ocean conditions when you want to release them, what are you actually looking for uh, ideally when you say it's about the the, – temperature um it's also about currents do you just want to explain that yeah for sure so i mean one of the big reasons that these guys strand is turbidity and cold water so anyone in and around the mid north coast knows that when you get nor'easters the blow for a couple of days then you get redweed pushing you get blue bottles you get cold water generally you just get a you know a very uninviting ocean and that's uninviting whether you're a turtle or a person you know so this summer was a great example we had nor'easters blow for about three months and we had about 40 turtles come in so if you're a reptile, you need warm, yeah. you need you know you need temperature to thermoregulate, and you get cold and you can't forage and the water's turbid, you can't see where you're going. Uh, and after a month or so, you know, particularly the ones that were a bit dodgy to begin with, um, just end up on the beach. So in terms mm-hmm. of releasing, we want the opposite. We want nice, clear, warm water. Like so, we get a southerly change come through, uh, and the the ocean temperature will you know rise by three or four degrees, and the clarity can in- increase overnight. So 
Yeah, so like yesterday we were um we were supposed to just come up and meet Dwan and chill out and next year and I get a phone call, right, we're off. And Dwan had gone up to his <laughs> local beach and like, no, nah, this is the conditions are right, let's do it. So um yesterday wow. we we how old are the, the turtles yesterday? They were They're around fifteen years old. Fifteen years yeah. old. Oh, it was amazing, Brad. It was I don't know, mm. you know I um turned around and hugged uh, I can't remember the name, Tanya. Tanya, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. it's just it was it was an awesome <laughs> feeling. Like, mate, they, yeah. they how fast they swim underwater. It's just unbelievable, you know. These docile little guys normally swimming around, you know, when you see them, when they want to go, mate. Wow. I mean, I think you were saying something yesterday. They, they, the bigger ones can actually get like a plane behind, like a bow wave. Yeah. Like if you had a big 130. Yeah, and you can, you know, I mean, if you're trying to catch one of them and you're hanging on to the back, you'll you'll get towed along. They won't even know you're wow. there. No, they're, they're moving. Yeah. Well, one of the key sort of reasons why you're actually having to rescue these people. Yeah, so if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have been really confident with my answer. I would have said something and, and believed it. But the more avenues we go down now, the, the less I know, I think. I mean, they present, they all present pretty similar. They all present and they're sick, you know. They mm. can be skinny and they've got a whole lot of algae growth and barnacle growth, which means they're not swimming around a lot. And the blood work's mm-hmm. always pretty similar. They're anemic. They've got low protein levels. But these are all really non-specific findings, you know. Like, and then we'll go to post-mortem on the ones that die, and they'll have some parasite load. But like I said, I mean, these guys have co-evolved with with parasites, so it shouldn't be that much of an issue. So mm. I think, I mean, there's something at play, whether it's immunosuppression secondary to anthropogenic pollution, or whether it's you know something less sinister. I, I don't know. I mean, we're looking at the moment, mm. and we just got to keep looking, I guess, because. We can treat the individuals and get them better, but unless we work out why they're getting crooked, then we can't prevent them getting crooked. So I guess that's, yeah. that's probably the key why you've got to work with the, the biologist to go, hey, yeah. individual treatment, overall, what are we going to do about it? What, what's happening? That's 100%, yeah, yeah, 100%, because, I mean, you can't have one without the other. You yeah. know? So, and we need input from them. We need to say, okay, what, what in, what's the incidence of fibropapillomatosis? Now, is it going up? Is it going down? What are they eating? Where are they at? What, what are the numbers? Are they expanding? Are they contracting? You know, if that data talks to, you know, the two sets of data talk to one another, then you can get, you know, you can get mitigation techniques put in to prevent whatever the problem is, you know. Wow, that's yeah. uh, it's it's, it's mind blowing, really, because you're actually ten years ago, as you said, you'd probably come out with an answer, but now the more you look into it, what the hell's going on? Yeah, it's um, it's amazing, you know, across multiple people that we talk to, you know, you, you've got to make decisions based on data, not opinions, eh? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and that's something that Brad and I are finding talking to lots of different people. We we spoke to Daryl Blatchley um, from the Philippines who did a necropsy on. A 500 kilo male whale. Yeah. Um, and again, he sort of resonated the same thing. You know, we've got to, we've got to learn more to find out what's going on. Um, so, you know, to hear you sort of resonate the same sort of thing is, yeah, put two and two together. Well, it, was, it was pretty obvious, like, obviously, like Daryl Blatchley's done, I think, 61 necropsies of uh, uh, deceased dolphins and whales and, and found that I think 75% of them had died from plastic ingestion. I know um, I was reading a recent um, article from the University of Queensland and, and just in Moreton Bay, which is the sort of the bay that sort of, uh, I guess, a lot of southeast Queensland drains to, particularly Brisbane, they found that 30% of dead uh, turtles that have washed up on Morton Bay beaches have died as a as a likely result of um, plastic ingestion. So plastic's obviously a massive issue for a lot of marine species. Is that what you're sort of finding for the sea turtles that you rescue, recognising that they're actually not dead there, but they are still struggling? Is plastic a a key factor at all? No, I mean, it's not something we see commonly. And I think with these Mm. guys... um, 
you need to know a little bit about where they are and what they're doing, and then we can kind of work out the threat. Um, I mean, mm. we've got a really pristine marine environment down here in Coffs Harbour. We're really lucky. Yeah. You know, we've got the Solitary mm. Island Marine Park, and there's not – I mean, there's plenty of marine debris on the beaches, so it's coming in. And ingestion of marine debris, massive problem worldwide for sure. Um, mm. But in our in our critters in particular, it's not something we see regularly, which is great for us. It's great, yeah, yeah but I mean – yeah, definitely. I mean, little hatchlings and stuff that are out there, they're floating around on the surface and they're nibbling on marine debris. Uh, we do see some plastic ingestion in those guys. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of our critters coming through, no, plastic is not, not an issue for us. Yeah, great. Well, that's great to hear. Just, yeah. on the, just on the little critters, could you um, – we were out yesterday uh, and you are explaining when you take the hatchlings out and, you know, dump them off the boat – where do they go and what what's their travel circle like? Brad, this will blow your mind. It is crazy. <laughs> so uh, different species do different things and the most impressive one is the loggerhead. So we have loggerhead turtles nesting uh, in New South Wales and, and Queensland uh, and these little guys, so they might have two, two and a half months in the nest and they crawl up and it's, you know, this is a five centimetre turtle. So they're crawling up about 65, 70 centimetres of, of nest already. And they hit the beach and they're dodging the seagulls and the crabs that are trying to eat them. And then they hit the water, you know, and if you're a four centimetre turtle and there's three foot of swell running, then, you know, you got to be getting smashed through the shore break and you watch them bounce around like corks. And then they navigate that near shore environment and they hit the East Australian current and they're all coming south. Um, and then these little guys, they duck around the bottom part of New Zealand and then straight across <laughs> the Pacific, straight across the Pacific to South America. What? So 4,000 guys. Yeah. And this is a four centimetre turtle. And then they'll loop back oh up. Oh, my goodness. And they loop back up and they loop back up and they come back in around and then, you know. We'll come back and, and nest on the beaches that they hatch from, you know, 25, 30 years later. They come back to within a couple of hundred kilometres of the same place they hatched, Brad, after going pretty much around the world as a fox. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. I mean, green's not quite as impressive. Still pretty impressive, you know, but they're ducking down. They'll come up on the on the west side of New Zealand and, and then circle back around seamounts and stuff uh, before migrating back into that to the Australian coast. But Loggerheads. When yeah. we get these little hatchlings in, um, if they've been if they've been out and they've come back in, then when we release the little loggerhead hatchlings, we'll take them out to the shelf um, to get them in that current. And you're releasing these poor little guys, and you're like, oh, good luck, buddy. Here you go. We'll just plop you over, plop you overboard here. We'll give you a bit of seaweed to try and camouflage you a little bit. You can just see the dolphin fish circling, thinking, yep. Because dolphin fish, obviously, that's just that's what they oh, love. Man, the mahi mahi and the they just smash these little hatchlings. Yeah. The chances of actually surviving if you're a little hatching, like what? what they're like something like one in a thousand or something to breed, yeah. breeding age. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's the number. So one in a thousand gets tossed around. I mean. I don't really know how they came up with that number, but it, it sounds like it'd be about right because they just everything's just trying to eat them. Mate, imagine that. It's hey, incredible. buddy. Hey, buddy. Good luck. See you in ten years. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go down and see Jeremy at the bottom of New Zealand. Good luck getting around there. <laughs> then you've got to get up to South yeah. America. Yeah. I mean, but what are they doing over in South America? They're just going there. They're just the sitting surf? in the current. They're just drifting. But they're just drifting. Yeah. And just what, what? What are they eating? I mean, I mean, are they? Yeah, so when they when they hatch, they've absorbed all that yolk sac. So yeah. like if you imagine like a little chicken egg, you've got yeah. your egg white and your yolk. Um, so these guys in the in the sh- in the egg will absorb all that in. So they've got this massive fatty liver, um, which is very buoyant. So when they're getting dumped by waves and when they're drifting on currents, they're just they're just at the surface. So you'll find them in big mats of marine debris and that sort of stuff floating around out there, um, and they're just chewing on whatever's at the surface. So they're just experimenting. 
plant material, animal material, uh, but and that's why they're susceptible to plastic ingestion. You know. Okay, so they're, they're literally f- floating on the top yeah. the whole way around. Yeah, just basically going for a free ride, just drifting, just drifting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is unbelievable, isn't it? Really, and they think they're under so much, I guess, uh, you know, risk of everything, like everything from fish to sharks and birds and plastic pollution, and, yeah. and the chances of them coming back to sort of their Home to lay eggs and, and start the process again. It's an incredible journey, yeah. and that's why these releases are so emotive, you know. Yeah. Like because these yeah. these green yeah. turtles that we released yesterday, they've done their time out there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they've survived. Like they're probably yeah. their chances of making it to adulthood now are probably I don't know one in five or so. And, you know, like as long as they don't get chewed on by a tiger shark in the next ten years or so, they they should be pretty good. Up in uh, in January, I actually went up to Monrepo Beach uh, up near Bagara, which is sort of inland from Bundaberg um, to see one of these, uh, I, I guess it's a loggerhead turtle, uh, lay eggs on the Monaco beach. Yeah. It is unbelievable to see. Oh, but I, I must admit, I hadn't, didn't realise the journey that they'd made. I know their, their chances of survival and returning are, are, are slim, but I didn't know they were bloody, uh, you know, such extreme endurance athletes as well. Um, yeah, but to that- see these massive turtles laying eggs, it was just incredible. It really was. How many eggs can they can they lay? They'll pop out between a hundred and um, between eighty and one hundred and twenty. Wow! And that's wow. each nest. And they might lay, you know, three or four nests each season. Wow! So, so they'll oh, come in and they'll, wow. they'll dig a nest. Uh, this is loggerheads and greens. They'll dig a nest. Uh, you know, pop 80, 90 eggs down, and then they'll go back out. They'll cruise around for a couple of weeks, and they'll come back in and lay another nest. And they so two, three, four clutches, and then they might have maybe a three to four year uh, interval between. Uh, but yeah, so they're pumping out, I don't know, what, three, four hundred eggs. And so what, what's the time between the egg and then the hatchling? So varies a little bit based on temperature, but around 65 to 85 days sort of thing. Okay. So 65 would be early and 85 would be about normal. Uh, the trigger point for us around here is when it gets up to around 90, we excavate the nest. So we will dig up um, the nest with, wow. na- with national parks. And any animals that are in the nest that are not viable, um, that have died, will, will yeah. be counted. And the ones that were down at the bottom that were trying to get out that were too weak will just release from the beach there. Okay, and just there and then go away. There up. and then. And then if they're still a bit bent or if they've still got yeah. like a belly button or a bit of yolk sac, then we'll either bring them back into the pool and give them another few days on the sand. But often those guys, often they die. You know, okay. like Down here, New South Wales, it's pretty cold. Yeah. So the average... Uh, nesting periods longer and they get fungal infections and okay. that sort of stuff but i'm um, going to be particularly important with all the as you know as beach temp- as nest temperatures rise so. yeah yeah when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Okay. Yeah. You were saying the guys are a bit frisky on the uh, female tours. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> as, as reproduction in the animal kingdom often is, the females will come in and they'll, and they'll lay their eggs and then as they hit it, so they'll come in, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night once, the, once, yeah, once it's nice and dark and then they'll spend most of the night digging their nest and it's pretty painstaking to watch because they've got to get 65 centimetres down and, and it's a kind of a goblet shape. So if you're trying to dig with your feet 65 centimetres down in soft sand and you're, you know, you're a big heavy turtle, yeah. often the nest collapses and they're moving, you know, and then they finally get it in and they've got to bury the eggs uh, and then often it's dawn by the time they're getting back in the water and they're, they're hauling themselves across the sand and then as soon as they hit the water, bam, and now waiting for them. <laughs> and then, you know, they're opportunistic so then there might be another male on top of the first male and, yeah. I've so seen, the males will be just out circling, oh, waiting. Just circling, waiting. <laughs> just like sharks, just like predators. Oh. I, saw, I saw one poor v It reminds you of a nightclub thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, really? yeah, At the kebab store. That's just, <laughs> I saw one poor female with uh, with two males on her back, and that's that's two hundred and fifty kilo, probably a turtle on your back. You know, <laughs> yeah. after trying, a long night of yeah. you know just trying to dig your knees. Yep. It's exactly what you need, a couple of guys at the kebab shop. Yeah. Oh, wow. So where do you think uh, the Sea Turtle Foundation is going? What's your ambitions for, for, for the foundation and where do you want to try and take it? Yeah, so I've got two big ambitions, I guess. One is to maximise the, the amount of data, the amount of research and the amount of work that we can get out of these turtles that are coming into care. Every time a turtle comes into a rehab facility, whether it lives or dies, it's a, it's a goldmine. In terms of us working out what's happening in the marine environment and, and how to make it better, that's one big area. Um, so we held a workshop last October, actually, and we called it Bridging the Gap. That yep. was a pretty kind of pretty sexy name yeah, because yeah. what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between rehabilitators and researchers. Yeah. You know, so if you're a researcher sitting in your lab and you need a certain parasite or you need a, a stomach content sample or you need a certain seagrass, hopefully if we get all the rehabilitators collecting samples in a standardized fashion and then get the communication protocol set up, you know, bam, all yeah. of a sudden there's five, six PhDs and no one has to, you know, go catch a healthy turtle. Yeah, yeah. So that's one area is bridging that gap between the rehabilitators and the researchers. And are you tagging, uh, I mean, I noticed um, Stumpy obviously had his name, but you, you've tagged each turtle DH174 or whatever it is. Is that a part of the process that you're trying to standardize? No. So we just, when they come in, um, we give them an ID just so we know, you know, when we get a blood result back, we know who the blood goes to and, and outcomes and that sort of stuff. We use GT for green turtle, okay. so pretty scientific. <laughs> yeah. And then the date that they came in on. So okay. if, if Stumpy came in on the 1st of January this year, it would be GT 010119 01, sort of thing. So it's um, more around the processes mm. of the bloods, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 all, the, all the stuff I saw in the lab. Yep. Uh, that, that's what you're trying to standardize and then share with other people. 100%. So yeah. if you're, you know, like I say, we're both doing, both cutting up a sea turtle. Like say that unfortunately this sea turtle has died and we're both looking at nitrogen content in yep. seagrass, you know. And you freeze your sample and I put my sample in a chemical, bam, you know, it's useless. It's wasted, you know. So just getting really compartmentalized, fine like questions and saying, what's an issue? Okay. Is nitrogen, nitrogen sequestration in macroalgae an issue? Yeah. Right. Let's all freeze. Everyone get a teaspoon of seagrass from the next dead uh, sea turtle stomach. Freeze it down, send it to old mate with his lab here, and we'll yeah. get like a nitrogen phosphorus ratio. Like, so getting standardized uh, protocols where we can get data that we can use and we can publish. You know, so that, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is is actual the welfare of the critters. You know, so 
trying to get everyone to look at uh, the antibiotic usage that they're using, trying to get everyone to look at the, the treatment protocols and trying to get best practice, I guess. So we've got a rehab conference coming up uh, at the end of the year and we'll get all the players involved in rehabilitation there and at the Sea Turtle Foundation will host it. Um, and hopefully we'll get some dialogue, so not necessarily to standardize treatment protocols for everyone, but just to provide everyone with the, the most up-to-date knowledge, yeah, I guess. It gives them the opportunity to, to participate. 100%, yeah. How many type rehab places are there? There's not many. So on the East Coast, we've got, um, and they're normally associated with zoos. So, yeah. so Underwater World on the Gold Coast, they do some sea tour rehab. Uh, Australia Zoo, they've got a wildlife hospital. Uh, SeaWorld, then Ballina, us here in Coffs Harbour. Uh, and Taronga. Okay. Yeah, and there are a couple of other ones that are like a couple of hot spots, the Port Stevens and, and, and down south that are looking at developing a facility just out of need. Um, but I mean, that's not a lot of players, you know, like no. we can just get those guys in the room and just have the chat and we can be feeding samples back in and standardizing protocols. We should get some good outcomes. And what about around the world? Yeah, the states do it best, you know, we're probably five or 10 years behind, um, where they're at in terms of sea turtle medicine and disease investigation. So all the cutting edge stuff is coming out of the States. Okay. And where, whereabouts particularly? Down in Florida. Okay. Yeah. There are a lot of turtles down there and a lot of, um, a lot of labs and a lot of facilities dedicated to it. Um, saying that we're, we're kind of, we're, we're going okay. You know, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're, uh, we're pushing. You're punching. Yeah. We're punching. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting in there. <laughs> so we're working, uh, one of the projects at the moment that's pretty cool is we're working with Griffith Uni. So they, they've got all this fancy lab gear and they can do, uh, metabolomics and proteomics. So normally we just do a blood profile and we might get, you know, five or 10, maybe 15 different enzymes back and it might show liver health or kidney health or whatever. Uh, these guys, they'll get a couple hundred things back. They'll look at amino acid levels. They'll look at different wow. metabolites and we don't know what it means yet. No, uh, but at least but you can look at it. Yeah, we're looking, you know, so that's pretty cool at the moment. So yeah, you don't know what it means because you've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah, we don't know what it means because we don't know. We got to work out, okay, wait up. So all those turtles over there were sick and all those ones over there were healthy yeah. and their metabolomic profile looks like this and theirs looks yeah. like that. Where are the differences? It's, it's telling a story. Yeah. The more data we get, getting back to data, data yeah. is king. Um, then we can start to get some of these cause and effect relationships established. Wow. Great work, honestly. Yeah. It really is. And obviously the there's an educational sort of uh, uh, arm to the, the foundation as well. Like, uh, I know you guys do a little bit of work in Papua New Guinea and in the communities talking about um, various issues and, and solutions for these details. Can you, can you explain some of the educational stuff that you guys do as well? Yeah, so a big part of conservation with any species is community engagement, you know, um, and a big part of the community is kids, and kids are often much more engaged than adults. You know, you're busy. You're an adult, yeah. you're busy, you've got your mortgage and your bills and stuff. And the kids, um, the kids are keen. So the Sea Turtle Foundation has a strong presence up in Darwin, far north Queensland. They do some work in the Indo-Pacific, Papua New Guinea and, and those sorts of places, trying to engage both traditional landowners and, you know, and Caucasians on, on sea turtles and the threats to sea turtles and what you can do to help, you know, like just getting back to marine debris, you know, keeping that marine environment clean. Ban the balloon, those sorts of programs. I know there's a, a researcher uh, in Tasmania that's doing a little uh, bit of research around the impacts of, of balloons on marine. You'd, you'd, um, seen, uh, you'd never species. think about it, though, would you? You know, like yeah. Yeah, people well, going well, down well, the beach the thing, going, happy birthday yeah. and what that actually does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but then every now and then you'll see like someone release 50 balloons at a wedding or something, you're like, oh, yeah, no. yeah, that's they're coming cool. down. Somewhere. But it is. It is about uh, it is about building that connection. So understanding what we do on the land and what we do in the sea impacts uh, on a number of different things, not just marine species, but a, a whole bunch of things. And and like honestly, it's great that the Sea Turtle Foundation does so much work about uh, improving that sort of connectivity. You, you mentioned the, the the work between sharing information among rehabilitation scientists and 
bridging the gap between the rehab people and the science, but also just from a from a from an engineer's perspective as well. Like uh, I must admit, I didn't actually know the the impact that plastic was actually having on my own backyard in Moreton Bay. You know, the, the fact that thirty percent of um, sea turtles were being washed up with. Um, as a result of plastic ingestion. And, and you made that comment before about, oh, actually, down in Cox Harbour, plastic isn't so much of an issue because it's a pretty pristine environment. But I look at that and go, well, that's, that's obviously a, a great benchmark. Um, if we don't have plastic washing into our oceans, um, sea turtles are actually uh, have a much higher uh, likelihood of actually being healthy and, and, and successful and, and, and having a, a great population. Can I just jump in? So for the, oh, look, I'm not the engineer, I'm just the, um, the good-looking one. <laughs> Plastic's inert. So if, if, like, I can understand whales eating plastic bags, but little bits of plastic, how are the turtles or wildlife in in general, how are they getting affected by it? I mean, there's the obvious physical size of plastic, whatever, but there must be other contaminants attaching to the plastic. Is that, do you? Short answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, But what we're doing at the moment, so there are two, two, Plastic-related outcomes came from bridging the gap. One was to quantify the amount of macroplastic in sea turtles at necropsy. So now everyone that's doing a postmortem or a necropsy, I know what, I know what the word necropsy means now. Yeah, yeah I'm so happy. <laughs> um, so yeah, when we're when we're cutting these guys up when they die, um, when everyone, all these rehabilitators now are doing a standardised assessment of macroplastic in the gut. Yep. So we can say, okay, yeah, and then small intestine, we had you know, five pieces and they were 15 mil diameter or, or whatever, you know. So there's that standardized protocol. And then the second uh, protocol that came out addresses your second question about uh, leachate, I guess, coming off plastic. Yeah. So there's a – and I don't know much about it. I'm just facilitating sample collection for the the researcher. But um, we're collecting, in addition to the gut content and macroplastic, we're collecting liver, fat, and kidney and muscle from these guys. And they're looking for a compound called phthalate. Okay. Uh, which is apparently leaches out of plastics and accumulates in fatty tissue and they can kind of reverse engineer back. So even if the turtle doesn't have any plastic in its gut at the time of post-mortem, yeah. um, maybe it had eaten a whole lot, yeah, it yeah. absorbed all that okay. crap off the plastic, passed it, defecated it out, but then was su- suffering from the from the chemicals that it absorbed. So we're looking at it at the moment. We don't have any data, so we're just getting samples at the moment. One, one thing you touched on before was uh, nitrogen, phosphorus. Um you see an increase in, in nitrogen and in, in your turtles. Well, it's not really. I was hoping. I, I was hoping that was going to be the uh, the breakthrough, you know, because it makes sense. You know, yeah. you've got a whole lot of nitrogen coming off an urban runoff. Nitrogen's going to get sequestered by macroalgae and stuff as as arginine, most likely. You know, and then I was thinking, okay, so if we get stomach content, we're going to have um, high nitrate on nitrate levels in in blood. Um, and we're going to have high arginine levels in, in the metabolomic profile and this sort of stuff. And we haven't really seen it. Um, but I still, I still think it's a, a big smoking gun we need to chase. And that's, it's the area that I want to chase next, I guess, is to look at those nitrous and phosphorus ratios and then try and work out some cause and effect. You know, like, does the ratio vary and is it having a health impact? At the moment, I don't know, but it's definitely an area we should be looking at. Well, obviously, well, it probably might. It probably might be the nitrogen actually impacting the sea turtle as as more the the nutrients in the water contributing to increased algal growth, and that algae subsequently having an impact on on the health of sea turtles. Like some 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 algae obviously is highly toxic to uh, marine species and can cause death. Um, I, I suspect there's probably a link there between nutrients increasing algal concentrations in the in the waters that impacting on the on the sea turtle. 
Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, algal blooms we're seeing more and more often. Uh, the big, the big toxin associated with morbidity in the Northern Hemisphere is demoic acid, and we don't have the capacity down here to actually diagnose uh, demoic mm. acid exposure. So, why, why not? We just don't have the labs. Okay. Yeah. So it's mm. it's a massive area. I mean, we're looking at algal toxins at the moment, um, but for mm. us to rule out algal toxin in a turtle, we're looking at about twenty grand for a lab. Let's start crowdfunding. So 50, well, 50 turtles like, here, yeah, yeah. 20 grand turtle, boom. Well, just on that, like you guys, obviously, the Sea Turtle Foundation does some great work. We've touched on research, um, the research activities you guys do, the educational campaigns, and obviously the action, which is just incredible, the, the rehabilitation and, and release of, of injured sea turtles. Uh, where do you guys actually get your funding from? So there's there's two entities, I guess, that I'm sitting here uh, representing. Um, so the actual rehab is Dolphin Marine Rescue. That's the entity in Coffs Harbour um, that, that I work for on a day-to-day basis. So uh, that's a charitable uh, charitable trust funded by Dolphin Marine Conservation Park. So Dolphin Marine Conservation Park chips in about 100 grand a year to fund the, the Sea Turtle Rescue and Rehab Program. Mm-hmm. And then the Sea Turtle Foundation is is a separate entity, and that's the entity that we're trying to get uh, set up as an umbrella organization for, for all rescue and rehab facilities. So at the moment, Sea Turtle Foundation doesn't actively have a rehabilitation hospital. Uh, it does predominantly field-based work and educational campaigns, uh, but that's a direction we're hoping to move more towards in the future. So you need a lab. We need a lab and we need money. So, yeah. we, we, I mean, pretty much the lab. Lab and money for lab listeners money. out there. Yeah. I, we even thought about this before. Imagine how many people would be sitting back in, you know, really affluent areas. Sponsor Stumpy, you know. Yeah. Come on, you know, for all the listeners out there, if you want to, um, you know, either get in touch with uh, Ocean Protect or Brad or myself, if you're keen to get behind Duan, he needs money. I mean, uh, it, it's such a great cause, and I think any listeners out there that want, want to get involved, get in touch with either Duane or us, and we'll put you to them. And so there's no government funding at all for Sea Turtle Foundation? No. No, not at the moment. No. So, what do you mean? Uh, at the moment, that there is, is I mean, maybe maybe Queensland government is, is different, but at, as at the moment, in terms of sea turtle rehabilitation across the board, there's no government funding. Gladys, Gladys, you've just got back in power. <laughs> Are you there? You need to get on to these turtles. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, that's so, amazing, really. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're doing 50 turtles a year, we're probably, you know, a minimum two grand a turtle uh, by the time you look at just feed and care wow. and and that sort of stuff. Obviously, Duane, like you and the Sea Turtle Foundation do incredible work. Uh, like, it, I completely take my hat off to you for the work you guys do. Just in so many great fronts, research, education, and action. And obviously, whatever we can do to sort of support um, the work that you guys do and get your sort of message out there and, and celebrate your successes and, and highlight the work you do. Obviously, we can. I guess that's probably what the key reason why we're doing this podcast is sort of just to highlight the work that you do. Ocean Protective obviously chipped in um, some cash just recently to to contribute to the work that you guys do, but obviously uh, more would be welcome from other sources. Yeah, I mean, both both things. I mean, the cash, obviously awesome. So big thank you, Ocean Protect, for the, for the, yeah, for the recent way. injection of cash. That's going to go a long way. Uh, well, it's not. We've chipped in 10 grand. I was trying to talk up, man. That's, five, that's <laughs> only five turtles. Really? No, but yeah. now, turtles. now yeah, we yeah, understand yeah. that. It's only five turtles. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> but in terms of, in terms of um, so Sea Turtle Foundation won't spend that money directly on any individual in rehab, but it will spend that money setting up a rehabilitation conference yeah, okay. um, yeah. and then providing the infrastructure, I guess, for rehabilitation centers then to come and liaise and so on and so forth. But the other awesome thing is this, it's a platform, you know, this podcast, it's a yeah. platform to, to, to talk about these issues and, and get it out there. Yeah. So both are, both are awesome. 
Well, mate, uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure to have you on today. Um, you you are a, an example of a, of a top bloke, um, oh, highly geez. educated, who talks down to sort of the level where the, the layman like me can understand. Um, mate, thanks very much for coming on today, Bradley. Thanks very much for uh, for you dialing in. So, sorry, could I, could I just give a quick shout out yeah. to uh, <laughs> so my youngest daughter has just started a uh, a program called Eco Grooms. Uh, and it's targeted at primary school oh. kids, and she's trying to get uh, waste audits done in primary schools to decrease uh, the amount of waste. And so they're turtle ambassadors. When we have our turtle releases, they've got their shirts and they come down. And oh, cool! Yeah. So someone Google after the podcast, Google Eco Groms. Eco Groms. Yeah. Eco Groms. Well, we will certainly be shouting yeah. out for Eco Groms. Awesome. So what's your daughter's name? Hadley. 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 Yeah. Well done, Hadley. Um, that's amazing. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as we say. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me. And we come back on um, and talk to us in a couple of months. Yeah. Hopefully we've released Stumpy by then. Oh, mate, Stumpy. He's so cool, Brad. Dwan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank like, you so likewise, much. Man. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.